Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by TunnelBear, the simple privacy app that makes it easy to access a more open internet and browse privately. Go to freetunnelbear.com. Start using it for free right now. Omar Mualam, writer for The Walrus, The Guardian, Wired, and others, joining us from Edmonton. Hello. Hey, always a pleasure to be here. Omar, we're going to talk today about the RCMP's seemingly endless surveillance of journalists. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Paul Godfrey, hat in hand, asking for money for the post-media newspaper empire. And we're going to talk about lending a hand to Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Oh, who could resist? Welcome back to Canada Land Shortcuts. This episode is brought to you by Jeff Siskind, Matthew Penny, Faiz, Finn Upham, Cameron, Meg Bowie, Simon Bevan, and Sabrina Natarajan. Sabrina, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land exposes the relationships and inherent biases within Canadian media and gives me the ability to interpret the news. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge 
research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars And I I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is also brought to you by TunnelBear, Omar. Have you ever been concerned when you're surfing online, just like about your privacy in general? I don't know what it's like to surf the internet as a researcher who also has the name Omar. Is your privacy something you've ever thought about? Only when I have reasons to open up the incognito window. Right. You know what I mean? But Omar, an incognito window, it only actually protects your own computer from not storing cookies or keeping like a uh, a searching history. If you're on a public Wi-Fi spot and you're afraid that somebody externally is spying on you, you should use TunnelBear and... Uh, Everything that you do will be encrypted. And you can you can tell the internet that you're coming from any country you want out of like 20 countries. You could also do this because you want to price comparison shop. If you want to see what prices are being offered to Americans or to the British for flights or hotel rooms and then actually book that price. If you want to access content that's geoblocked, there's all sorts of reasons why you might want to use TunnelBear. Chief among them is that it's free. The first 500 megabytes of data that you consume when VPNing using TunnelBear are free. Check it out. Go to freetunnelbear.com. I got another one for you, Omar. All right. What is it? ShipStation. Get ship done. ShipStation is like a very, very useful thing if you ship things on the internet, because these days you could be shipping it from Amazon. You could be shipping it from Etsy. You could be shipping it from your own website, from a Squarespace site, from a Shopify. It's a crazy pain in the ass to log into your account on each of those different platforms to chart your orders and print out the labels. And what ShipStation has done is just made like one place that sucks in all of that order data. And then they've they've worked out partnerships with all of the different shippers. And they've actually done a very good job here in Canada with Canada Post and UPS, everything, DHL. In the time that it's taking me to read this ad, you could sign up for a free trial, import all of your orders, and start shipping labels that are compatible with all of those different shippers. This is the number one choice for online sellers in North America. Do not wait if this is something that you need for your business. If you do any shipping, this is what you want to use. And it scales, Omar. If you're just shipping a few things a week or like 100,000 things a week, ShipStation is your solution. (laughs) Go to ShipStation.ca. And before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in CanadaLand. That is ShipStation.ca. Enter CanadaLand. 
Okay, so for the first thing I want to talk with you about, Omar, I think that this is like just a shocking and egregious and totally unacceptable revelation from the CBC, from Dean Beebe. Did you read this one about the RCMP illegally spying on journalists? Oh, it's quite the juicy scandal. As far as bombshells go, this is A+. Do you want to run through it really quickly for our listeners? So there were two journalists from La Presse who were targeted by the RCMP, uh, Joel Dennis Belavancy and Gil Tupin. I'm probably butchering their names. And they, they were targeted because they had information leaked to them from CSIS. And that information might also have come from above, from a minister. The subject of those leaks uh, sure thinks so. So the journalists were the target of surveillance to find out who leaked them. This was in 2007. The RCMP followed them for just over a week, but they never actually got permission to do it. They asked for permission. They asked three times. They were rejected the first two times. And then the third time, they got limited permission. But surprise, they didn't actually follow through with it because, as it turns out, they already did the surveillance. This is a big deal because I think a lot of people would say... If CSIS has a leak and these journalists are meeting the source of this leak, of course, the RCMP should be doing everything they can to plug this leak. We can't have national secrets being leaked by CSIS. This is very similar to the Ben McCoo case, the vice journalist who uh, the RCMP is demanding his files on his source. He has a source in ISIS and the the RCMP is going to, you know, like they're threatening to throw him in jail if he doesn't hand over his files. The relevance of this is that if it's okay for the cops to target journalists and just basically piggyback our investigations and figure out who we're talking to, then no one is going to speak to a journalist. It's going to be a lot harder to have whistleblowers and insiders come to journalists with with information that they might find is completely unethical, completely unacceptable. That might not be the case in this instance, but yeah, it is going to be a lot harder. It's, it will completely deter people. I mean, it's hard. It's bad enough when you can lose your job for doing something like this, but when it can be investigated by the RCMP, yeah, there's a, a real uh, disincentive to leak any information to journalists. And really, there's nothing in law protecting journalists. You know, there are cases where the cops get permission to survey journalists. Mm-hmm. Under very strict rules. Under very strict rules. But in this case, this was illegal. The RCMP asked for permission, as you said, these two RCMP agents whose names are not mentioned in this revelation that just came out in the CBC, and they did it anyhow. They asked twice and were told no, and they did it anyhow. They just like tailed these journalists for nine days. Then they were actually told that it was okay to do it the third time they asked. And the superior who they went to for permission is now the commissioner of the RCMP. And I asked Dean Beebe, the CBC journalist who uh, got the A-tips just now and just broke this story, what were the repercussions for these rogue RCMP officers who really liked it, like just an egregious invasion into freedom of the press. And there's just like some vague wording he was given by the RCMP commissioner that there was some sort of secret reprimand. This is serious stuff. I mean, this is a serious inhibitor on the free press. And this happens to be a very high profile case. So you must wonder how often this does happen. Yeah. The police and media, I mean, it's no secret. They have a very adversarial relationship. The police need journalists, obviously, but they're not too happy to when journalists turn the headlines on them. Right now in Calgary, the Calgary police have declared somewhat of a fatwa on leakers within their own service. A sergeant who edits their trade magazine recently came out and called people in in media and the law buttholes. Yes, buttholes was the word he used because they were getting information from some leaker within the service. And, And the information was very important. It was that a cop who fatally shot and killed someone in 2016 was the same cop 
who shot and fatally killed someone in 2015, and he wanted to crack down on this information being leaked out to journalists. It just goes to show you how obviously toxic the relationship is with police and the press. Wow. Buttholes for wanting to get to the bottom of the fact that you've got like a cop who kills people at least twice in questionable cases. I mean, these stories keep popping up. This same last week, Colin Fries and Matt Braga had a serious development in their ongoing investigation to the use of these stingrays. You know about this one? These, uh, like, what is it, IMSI catchers, these Mm-mm. stingray devices? Do tell. So these devices are surveillance gear that pretend to be cell phone towers. You turn one of these Stingray devices on and it sends out a signal to like everybody in like, I don't know, a certain radius, like a block or two to their cell phones and says, I am a cell phone tower, ping me. And every single phone in that radius sends information to that Stingray. And all of a sudden you have this perfect record of the device of every person, you know, and you can just figure out which device is registered to which person. And like, you know, who was there then. And the cops have been denying for years that they use these things. And what Colin Freeze just found out, along with Matt Braga, who's doing this same kind of work for Vice, Colin Freeze for The Globe, is that the RCMP used a Stingray in an investigation of a gang. This comes after the Toronto police said, we do not use Stingray technology and do not have one, a statement which, according to Colin Freeze, glossed over the fact that the Toronto force had just called in a Mountie to operate one such device on its behalf. So the cops are lying, right? The Toronto <laughs> cops say, oh, we don't have one. We never used one. And then the Mounties did get permission to use a Stingray, but that permission itself, lawyers are saying, is not going to stand a constitutional challenge. These things are illegal for a couple reasons. They're at least in a gray zone of privacy because you're surveying on potentially thousands of innocents who are not the target of your surveillance. So there's a privacy law aspect. They also jam 911 signals. So there's a public safety issue. And then the CRTC regulates these things and says you you can't just come in and send out unlicensed radio waves. And so they likely violate that as well. I think it's actually conclusive at this point that they, they are illegal. These are not kosher devices to be using. And, you know, I have the same question with the Stingray story as I did with this 2007 revelation of, of the cops surveying the La Presse journalists. How often does this stuff happen? Because these are only these are just the cases that we're finding out about. And there seems to be no shortage of cases that come forward. And, you know, it's all sort of from the same cloth. Yeah. And all of these different stories are coming together. Like we just also found out this week that the federal liberal government is trying to amend ATIP law, that they'll have a veto over access to information requests. Well, how did we find out about this 2007 uh, surveillance? Was it an access to information request? Yeah. This is exactly the kind of thing that the ministry could have vetoed. I mean, what are they going to veto? They're going to veto the newsworthy ATIPs. We already have pretty lousy access to information. Uh, You know, the turnaround is terrible. The RCMP just gave up fulfilling these for some time. And now the liberals want to introduce a veto to this. And, you know, like I think we need to look at this holistically and say, and the RCMP specifically, are just out of fucking control. Like, where is the oversight? Omar, can we try something new? Uh, yeah, let's do this. I want to try something new because when we're trying to figure out what to talk about on Shortcuts, sometimes there's something that just like pops into my stream or my consciousness, a news story. It's not really something that like I, I need to hash out the media's response to, but I do want to flag it. I want to note it. You know, I got, I got a couple of them today. I know that you got one. I don't know what to call this. Should we call this, uh, should we call this randoms? Should we call this tidbits? What do we call this new feature? Uh, randos. Let's call it randos. Randos. Me, me okay. and randos. <laughs> if anyone out there has a better name than randos, tidbits, randos. Oh, I'm randoms. sure many people do have better names. Yeah. This is not set in stone, people. Okay. I read this thing by Michael Harris in iPolitics. He caught up with Michael Sona. Michael Sona, the name might ring a bell. He was the fall guy. 
He was the 23-year-old conservative operative who was the only person convicted during the robocalls scandal. And Michael Harris wrote this totally compelling piece about where he's at now. He's awaiting sentencing again. And what was revealed in this piece is that when this, like, obviously, obviously to anybody with common sense, there were a lot of people involved in misleading voters, a total voter fraud situation with robocalls. There's no way it was just Michael Sona involved, but Michael Sona is the only guy holding the bag. And what Michael Harris revealed is that he attempted suicide at the height of this, that he actually put a gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger and it just didn't fire. And it's like the human side of the rot that we all know was part of the Harper years. And it made me think about Michael Harris too, who's like this fantastic legendary journalist. As I mentioned on a recent Canada land, he did like a spotlight like investigation of the Catholic church, sexual abuse of children before the Boston globe spotlight investigation. And, you know, Michael Harris these days, like I hear political journalists kind of mocking him openly because he, you know, he, he had a tweet like, Oh, Harper is still lurking. And then he gets made fun of as like this crazy anti Harper, uh, scold or, or radical or something. You know what? Michael Harris in my book is top notch. And if anyone is actually going to keep tugging at the thread of the Harper years and actually come up with a definitive account of what it was like, who broke what rules, what happened, my money is on Michael Harris. Duly noted. Do, do we end every bit with duly noted? <laughs> Maybe that's what it's called. Or, or like du- duly or, noted. Okay, duly noted. Or we could end it with that's so random. <laughs> Whatever works for you. I'm going to go with duly noted. Duly noted. Omar, what have you duly noted? I have duly noted Mark Smitch uh, of Hamilton. He is a rapper who is uh, on trial with with another person for the murder of Tim Bosna. And I bring up the fact that he is a a rapper, not because he killed someone with his rap lyrics, but because his violent rap lyrics that were found on his iPad that he has rapped in online videos are now being offered as evidence in this trial. And the evidence is pretty weak. The lyrics are like, peace, bitch, you're deceased, kid. Also very weak rhymes. I think it's safe to say that too. Weak evidence and weak rhymes. Weak evidence, weak rhymes. But also this this follows a trend in Canada and the United States where rap lyrics are increasingly and disproportionately being used in criminal trials as evidence. So that is what I am keeping note of. Duly noted, Omar. Uh, Finally, I would like to duly note that there exists a very small and very unpleasant minority of Gameshi truthers on the internet. Gameshi truthers who believe that uh, Jean Gameshi was an inside job, that this was all a conspiracy, that I'm a cult leader who somehow put, I don't know, I guess 25 different uh, accusers up to it. And I, I really, really hesitate to even recognize their existence. Except that their existence is hilarious. It is pretty funny, but I don't care who comes at me with information, insults, if there's some factual truth to it, I will respond. And I usually just tune out what this little faction of truthers has to say, but they came up with a true discrepancy. They did note something that that had escaped my attention, that Roberto Veri, the the CBCQ producer who was on my show uh, right when the Gameshi story came out, who said that he witnessed Catherine Burrell being sexually assaulted by Jean Gameshi in the workplace, he said on my show that he worked at Q at 2009, 2010, and the date of the alleged incident according to the crown and everybody else was 2008. And so of course they seized upon this as evidence that this whole thing was cooked up. So I said, well, actually that's worth checking into. And I got in touch with Roberto and I said, well, when did you work at Q? And he says, you know what? I misspoke on your podcast. I was there from 2007 to 2008. And I thought, okay, that's what you say. And he said that the crown looked into it, that he provided work records to the crown. So I went 
a little bit further and I verified it with two other CBC producers who were there at the time and who verified that Roberto Veri was there from 2007, 2008, not 2009, 2010. If that were not true, if he was not there during the time of the alleged incident, it's the kind of thing that Gameshi would be very quick to point out or anyone who worked on the show could have pointed out. So when there is a question about a factual inconsistency that links to content that we put out on Canada Land, I will mention the existence of the Gameshi truthers, if only to set the record straight. It was 2007, 2008. So that is a matter of fact that I would encourage anyone else to independently verify. Duly noted. Okay, Omar, we're going to play you some tape here. This is post-media CEO Paul Godfrey. By some reports, he has been sidelined and he is not seen or heard and uh, is no longer active at post-media. But here he is just last week in front of a House of Commons Heritage Committee making a plea for newspaper subsidies from the federal government or else there might not be newspapers anymore. The first voice you will hear is Member of Parliament Adam Vaughn. Why would we fund a failing business model that's owned by U.S. interests that is in a situation where it has failed to deliver profitability? Well, first of all, Mr. Vaughn, your facts aren't correct. The fact is is that uh, this company is controlled by Canadians. That fact, them milking the company, is absolutely wrong. That is wrong in fact, and it's wrong, and, and we can prove that without doubt. So you're quoting an article that was absolutely wrong in fact. That being said, why would we bail out a, a U.S. You're not, indebted you're not, you're, you're not bailing out a U.S. company. In fact, if you take a look at the shares of Post Media and the shares of almost any publicly traded newspaper, you'll find that everything is down. You don't have to listen to anything I say or anything whatever anybody else says. But I'm saying, I can tell you, that there are newspapers in this country. There's a newspaper that's already closed in Ontario called the Guelph Mercury. It doesn't print any longer. There's been a a newspaper closed in in British Columbia. And I'll tell you, if it continues to go in the trend it's going, you won't be sitting here and talking about whether there should be subsidies or not. You'll be talking, look, how are we going to continue to create uh, a, a, a group of journalists producing content for Canadians? But that would be such a better conversation. I would so much rather be sitting here talking about that than whether or not the federal government's going to bail out post media. So there's so many different ways in which that was uncomfortable. Both the anger of Paul Godfrey as he's asking for help from a government who post media has sort of, you know, made no friend of in the last uh, election and currently and beforehand. But it's, I think, really unseemly for the press to be looking to the government to ensure its sustainability. There's a lot of schadenfreude to feel when you see Paul Godfrey hat in hand in this situation and kind of going into the lion's den. And it's no secret that his alliances were with the former government. But I think we need to sort of separate the villain from the issue here, because the question is, should the government be aiding media? And the the thing is, the government has been aiding the news media for a very long time. They don't give dailies funding, but print magazines, which do journalism and non-dailies and digital periodicals. And and on the day that I learned about this, um, I learned that there is a pilot project from the Ministry of Heritage to match digital 
publication startups, $5,000. And the question is, should, I mean, should this be extended to newspapers as well? Should nobody get this? Is there a different expectation for newspapers? Should the media and the government be, as Paul Godfrey said, an ally together? I mean, that language kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, he's asking the government to be the, the press that holds the government accountable should look to the government to be their ally. To advertise more in their papers as well. Yeah, like, that's right. Which which is, you know, you say that the government has not subsidized newspapers. Well, not directly, but they certainly do play favorites. Uh, historically, this is true, as... Uh Thomas Welcome wrote in the Toronto Star, they used to award friendly newspapers with publishing contracts for, you know, government. They, they would use the same presses. They then lobbied for and won reduced rate postage for newspapers, Welcome wrote. So, you know, between all that and then buying ad space in newspapers, there's all sorts of ways the government can basically give money to newspapers and has been forever. So let's not act like that's not just the truth of it. It's the same argument that a lot of the so-called private media make about the CBC, which is sort of a hypocritical argument because they get their own form of subsidy. But when your government is funding your competition, like I get no subsidies for Canada land, any new news organization in this country setting up shop is not getting any kind of uh, media subsidy. And meanwhile, these newspapers, which Godfrey is right. I mean, he's half right. Newspapers are dying on their own, even if they're not owned by hedge funds, which Post Media is, even if they don't have a noose around their neck, which is what he described. They're like six to seven million dollars a month they got to spend uh, just in interest payments to Golden Tree Assets. And, you know, any kind of government bailout would go to that U.S. hedge fund. And the Canadian ownership is just an absolute smokescreen. The whole thing is just a real tragedy. You know, I think that Post Media is likely to go into receivership this summer and if Post Media didn't have the astounding debt that it does, it might actually be profitable right now. So it's only because of this like massive consolidation. They had to take out loans to do the consolidation. They had to get government approval for that media consolidation. The role the government has had in this has not led us to a good place. And so what is the solution to bad policy? More policy. Let's get the government more involved with this. There are others of us in this space who are waiting for like the road to get cleared a little bit and a, you know, a level playing field because maybe we actually could have self-sustaining journalism in this country without government intervention. So are you saying that Canada Land would never accept a, a government subsidy, would never participate in a government funded project in order to start a new project to expand Canada Land in any way? You would completely refuse that? That's the question that I was I was I was going to grandstand there's, without there's, actually there's $5, going there. There's five thousand dollars right now that the government will match for for you know new digital projects. Are you you would be completely opposed to that? Yeah, no, we, we we have not gone down that path yet, and there are lots of doors we could have knocked on the Ontario Media Development Corporation. There's all sorts of new media funds here and there. And uh, I've avoided it because I, I mean, I just like out of self-interest, I know that if we took that money, people would be very quick to call us hypocrites. We would be hypocrites. We cover those agencies. We cover the funding regime. So for us to be taking their money is sort of antithetical to what we do. But I've, I've held off on saying definitively, we're never going to take government money. I've held off on saying that just because like, you never know. Do you really want to back yourself into that corner? We're trying to do this differently, you know? We're trying to see if it could stand up on its own with just the support of the people who are funding us and the advertisers. I mean, I think maybe the criticism of Godfrey here is his solutions are, are kind of solutions that just keep supporting this model that obviously doesn't work. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about the paper print newspaper model. You know, his solutions are, are tax credits that encourage Canadian companies to advertise with Canadian newspapers and to advertise more in their papers. But 
you know, if the value of that advertising and the print has dropped for a reason, then how do you pitch that to the government? I mean, you have the money, so you'll might as well just throw us some bones. I mean, I can't say that I'm completely against government funding of media. I don't, I don't know if I'd have a, a career in media and in magazines. I mean, I started my career with a government uh, subsidized internship in magazines, and that was 10 years ago, and I think I owe a lot to that. But there's a logical fallacy there. I mean, first of all, let's separate our terms here because the funding of news journalism, especially public accountability news journalism that is expressly about reporting on government is a much narrower category than funding of media as a whole. But Omar, I also think it's worth noting that like you just made a conclusion that because you broke into the business by way of a government subsidy, maybe you never would have gotten a chance if not for a government subsidy. Sure. Sure, sure. Does that hold up? That assumes that in the absence of government subsidies, there would be no opportunities, no jobs, no nothing at all. I guess I just got to show my cards here. Yeah. You know what? I'm not against it in principle either. If there was some way to do it where it wouldn't basically make us totally subservient to the government that one way or the other is putting money in our pockets, then why not? You know, government certainly spends money on a lot of dumb stuff. And we're not talking about a lot of money here. So I, th- I think that where Godfrey's coming from is we all agree we need news journalism. So how are we going to get it? So what do you do when you when you meddle with the marketplace and uh, artificially you know support them? I think you do that on the backs of new companies like mine. So that's my self interest in this conversation. So you so you should be on Parliament Hill. You should be in the House uh, discussing the the future solutions. <laughs> I, I should be angrily yelling at Adam. Yeah, Vaughan. you should be you should be angrily yelling at our ministers. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. The wife of the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister's wife. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau is special. Being mocked by the public and politicians alike. One assistant is not enough to manage all the requests she gets for appearances. Saying she wants to meet as many demands on her time as possible. So what's the story here? Is the story here that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau would like some help? Or is it that people on the internet are assholes? Because people on the internet are kind of assholes. That's not news. (laughs) I think the story here for me is that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, who I believe the last time I spoke to you, I mocked very openly. We both mocked very openly her singing at the MLK Memorial. For breaking into song at the MLK Memorial. Like a Disney princess. Like a Disney princess. Has won me over in spite of myself. Because like everything with the Trudeaus I thought was so stage managed and set up to be a viral meme moment. And I think that she actually was just being superhuman and just just like, it's like, it's Canada's first lady saying like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I can't keep up. I need some help. There's no way that went through the vetting of PR people. Like, it's not no, a smart thing to of say. Of course and not. She, and it, was, it wasn't probably the wisest thing to have said to a media organization, but it is not unusual for our first ladies and one day first gentlemen to take on these kinds of roles. I mean, the Toronto Star pointed out that Mila Mulroney had three staffers. In the United States, Michelle Obama has a social secretary, a chief of staff, and a press secretary. And it's kind of a formal role within the executive office, within the White House. And that's in America. And then here in Canada, it's just, it's really loosey-goosey. The first ladies can take on as much responsibility as they want or as little as they want. But I don't think it's such a, a, a terrible thing that um, Sophie Gregor Trudeau wants to do more. I think that's important to know. She's not saying, I need help so that I can do less. She's saying, I need help so that I can be at more charity functions, so that I can speak on behalf of more causes. And this is all unpaid work, right? I mean, the first ladies of this world are probably the hardest working unpaid interns 
that you could imagine. I mean, it really is. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think that it's such a horrible thing to maybe hire another $75,000 secretary if it means that she can help raise millions of dollars for charities over the course of Justin Trudeau's prime ministership, because she's obviously highly in demand. And I'm going to guess that she's much more in demand than Lorraine Harper was, or that Aline Chrétien was. And we did vote for celebrities, and now we're asking our celebrities to be everywhere. And yeah, no surprise that... You know, she's overwhelmed. So I just found this, like, pray for Sophie and the cropping of her head on Eva Perron's Don't Cry For Me Canada uh, meme. I thought that was kind of just mean. Give this lady a hand. When it was about the nannies, I said, sure, like, let's pay for her childcare, but let's use this opportunity to talk about national childcare. Why, you know, everybody should, but there's, there's no bigger takeaway here. Like, yes, of course she should have a little extra help. She's not Lorena Harper. She's not like hold up. You know, you don't even see her for years. She's off in the, the, the Chateau front. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, hold up at 24 Sussex. You know, she's out there. She's, she's, <laughs> she's doing things. She's making appearances. Give her a little, give her some help. Why not? Yeah. I mean, okay. So it's, it's a bit rich considering that. During the election, Justin Trudeau said that, you know, wealthy people like himself don't deserve the universal child care checks that the middle class and lower classes obviously need and that he would donate his child care checks. And then, of course, you know, he takes office. And one of the first things that we learn is that they have taxpayer funded help. It's just unfortunate that his rhetoric during the election has put his family in the situations where they're so easy to criticize for it. But it's not an unreasonable thing. Yeah, our, our friends at the Syrup Trap had a pretty great headline. They said, well, you know, the Trudeau kids are just going to be raised by wolves from now on. Taxpayer-funded wolves, no doubt. I want to know what those wolves are eating. <laughs> Omar, thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Hope you enjoyed it. You can email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. And we're on Twitter at Canada Land. Omar, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Omar underscore A-O-K. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday and Canada Land Commons is off for a week. I make this show with Kevin Sexton, who's getting married. Congratulations, Kevin. Congrats, Kevin. And Canada Land is syndicated to community and college radio stations across this country with the help of Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us.